First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. We're in our twentieth session. First Peter chapter four, verse nine. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we'll start with these three verses, see how far we get in this particular session. And we're going through these passages, and the thing that I believe is so important to keep in mind is these are commandments. These are church-age instructions that God is giving to His people. One must take into account the things that God has done and then build on those. So we have the Old Testament. The New Testament believers in the first century had access in different ways to the Old Testament. You couldn't go down to the corner store and buy a copy of it. Everything was copied out by hand. But they had access to it. They were taught it many, many times from young children up, word by word, if they were in the Jewish line. Now, if we're not careful, we treat everything like evolutionists do. And many of you would just cringe at that. You say, well, I'm not an evolutionist. Well, the evolutionist says that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. In other words, there's never been a cataclysm and never been multiple cataclysms. So everything's just the way it's always been, but that's not so. There wasn't always a completed Word of God. I find it grieving that people do not value what you have in your hands. What God gave in 1600 around then was an English version that he brought men together and refined and purified. Somehow, people think it's scholarly to go back to an ancient language. But there's a problem with that. And the problem is, God would have kept it in that language if that's where he wanted it. The Word of God didn't go off and get watered down by putting into the language of the earth in 1611, that is, English. When the Greek language was the language of the known world, that's what God put it into, put the New Testament into Greek. Uh, the Old Testament Hebrew, you have all these guys that are scholars. They say English is a dead language. That is literally a lie. Now, I don't know who would perpetrate that lie. You'll have to ask yourself that. And that Old Testament Hebrew is more alive than it ever was. That has to be a lie if you know anything about languages or you've ever taken either or both of the Bible languages. Primarily Hebrew and Greek. So when we come to this, these are commands. These are instructions. They would have waited to hear what was the next epistle. And then God said, okay, these are what I want in my canon, in my completed word. The others you can access if you want, but these are the ones that I want to have authority. And this is one of them, the first epistle of Simon Peter. So in verse nine, he says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, hospitality is you know, all kind of synonyms. One of the definitions is cheerfully acting the part of the host. The word hospital, hospital, is in the word hospitality. 
And the word hospital is not just supposed to be the idea of sewing you up or whatever. It's supposed to be a place where someone is hosting you. In contrast, you trying to heal yourself up. Hospitality is cheerfully acting the part of the host. So he words it purposely. God had it translated to us in English purposely. If you are having trouble with a passage of Scripture, try getting an education in English first. The Old English. The Original English. Like Webster's 1828 is a great example of it with multiple definitions. And I'm going to tell you something. All this stuff about how it was more descriptive in the Greek and in the Hebrew, evidently you haven't taken that language because I have. And it's not more descriptive. English is the most descriptive of the day that we live in the last 400 years. So let us think about this for a minute. Okay? Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Have you ever noticed some people will be hospitable? They They will entertain or play the part of the host, but not necessarily cheerfully. Okay? Cheerfully acting the part of the host would be without grudging. Now, have you ever been in a family situation where the person showing the hospitality or, you know, having the gathering, uh, they were, you could tell they were doing it with grudging, or have you ever had that problem yourself sometimes, doing it with grudging? So it's a command, it's an instruction that takes the help of the Holy Spirit, that takes the help of us growing in God's grace and knowledge. There are other, many other passages about it. In this general part of your Bible, for example, uh, he gives us a little warning. He says in Hebrews 13 too, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The entertained is not turn on the TV or put on a show. It's to have them come in, entertain them, and provide for them. Hospitality. Hebrews 13 too. You know, the, the Apostle John writes in 3 John, 3 John and verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. He goes on to say, because that for his namesake they went forth taking nothing to the Gentiles. So the apostles and then the early preachers and teachers like the circuit riders did in the last couple hundred years, they would go out and so they would use hospitality towards them and take care of them. So he says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. That hospitality one to another is to believers. We pointed this out before in our mindset. It's, people are so earthly minded, horizontally minded, that their first thing is towards people that are family or people that are their friends but not necessarily in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. And that's where it's very important to keep that in mind. And I think there is a breakdown amongst many Christians today because of the culture that they live in or the culture they've been exposed to that in many many Christian cultures, you know, your doctrine is what matters and your beliefs are what matters, your practices. And they don't say, Lord, you're going to have to work in me so I can have hospitality. Now, hospitality is not 
giving everybody what they want. I understand that because some people don't want what's good and what's right. So you don't do that. But hospitality is to cheerfully act the part of the host. When you don't feel yourself being cheerful about it, get with the Lord and deal with it. See, that's one of the great things about these instructions in the Bible, cover to cover, either Testament, is when we come up against something, it's, it's a thing to say, hey, go ahead and deal with this attitude so you can do it the way you're supposed to do it. I don't believe it's, a, it's any sign that you didn't get saved or, you know, this is more powerful than you or you're still like your old lost nature. I don't believe that. It's just another voice. It's another impulse. It's the flesh saying, well, you don't really feel like doing that. Well, maybe not. But so let's, let's get in touch with God and the feeling will follow. See, that's what's important. I heard a fellow say to young people, and this is just in a secular sense, so to speak, He's saying, everybody tells you follow your passion. He said, no, find out what you're good at and do it and let that become your passion. You've got young people all over the world, all over America, trying to fulfill some so-called passion that they're, they have no skill at whatsoever. Uh, so, many of them, they want to be musicians. They want to be artists. Well, who doesn't if you can make money doing that and hanging out? But that a lot of them aren't. Some of them need to be, you know, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers. Make that your passion. And so... As a Christian, the advice is even better, and that is find the Word of God, set out to obey it, and let that become your emotion. So he says in verse uh, 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So it's, it's obvious that God hands out gifts. Now, you have to be careful. Uh, an obsession, you could almost say, with gifts has been the, the case for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, at least the last 20 years amongst Christendom, Christianity. And the downside to that is everyone's trying to define it. And then you've got these guys that come out with these long courses and studies and they're trying to break it down. But your gifts may change also. Now, Romans 12 is a good passage to write beside this. Okay, because he says in verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Prophecy is not uh, telling someone their horoscope, their future. Prophecy is preaching where stuff is going. Uh, one of the great mistakes today are people think that they've got to give these details where it's going instead of just staying as general as the Bible is so that people will be ready whatever happens. There's plenty in the Bible to get us looking ahead and preparing us for what's coming. And he says, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. I, I love the way the Lord does things. You know, it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know what they used to call them? They call them servers now, which is great in a restaurant or somewhere. They used to call them waiters. Why? They wait upon you. Not just stand there tapping their foot, they're waiting upon. And we should wait upon the Lord, for example. So he said, if you have, or ministry, if God gave you some, some way of ministering, wait on your ministering. That is, apply yourself to it and serve it. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Don't be sneaky and making sure people know who gave and, and conniving and working it all out. As Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what the left hand's doing. 
He that ruleth with diligence. You know, if you're going to be a leader and you're in charge of stuff and you're supposed to rule things, that's not supposed to be a position of power for you. It's a position of responsibility. So he says, you've got to do that with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And he goes on with even others. Uh, look at verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, of saints, given to hospitality. So hospitality, he says that, uses that th same thing over there in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about it. Okay? So in 1 Peter here, what we're looking at is this idea that, and hold your place in, in Romans 12 so we can make reference to it, that he says, <clears throat> verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister. <laughs> Similar to what Paul said in verse 11 of 1 Peter 4, if any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion for and ever and ever. Amen. Now, rather than trying to dissect this, rather than someone trying to give you a whole course on it, apply some practical spirituality to your life, especially in the context of where you're at, context of your local church, your leadership, and understand that what God may use as an application of your gift this year might not be that way next year or the year after. And understand that you're not always going to have this great feeling of fulfillment as much as you're going to have a sense that I'm doing what God wants me to do right now. And that thing could be any number of ways in which it is lived out. The principle is, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So why are we doing it? We're doing it for this thing called stewardship. Now there is a great difference between stewardship and ownership. You are bought with a price, he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. For you're not your own, is how he starts it, okay? You're bald with pride, what? For you're not your own. So what I'm given in the way of life, my life, the very breath of life, is not an ownership, it is a stewardship. Now Christians are worried today, and they fret, and they wrestle, and they fight with the world outside them, wanting to say that they own their life, and they own their body, and all that. And yet Christians are not living a life as a whole, a life that says, I'm not my own. I am bought with a price. I am a steward. If you begin to think like a steward, and we won't go into a whole, say, steward message here, but we need to spend some time on this. Because as a steward, we're going to take into account the things that matter to the master. The master is not some kind of horrible word. The master is who God Almighty is. Now, if you want to fight with that, you'll just have to fight it out with God and with his Holy Spirit, okay? But being one of God's servants is exactly the right description. What we need to do as children of God 
is live out our stewardship. So what the master values, the true owner values, is how we conduct ourselves. Let that sink in a little bit. So here you are sitting here, okay? And you have certain abilities. You have some that are that are universal, general ability, general abilities to hear and to speak and to see, to touch, to feel, you know, the average person who hasn't had, say, an accident or an infirmity. But then you also have a brain God gave you, a mind. He gave you a body that can and can can do certain things, cannot do certain things. He gave you the ability to learn skills. A skill you may not have been born with could still be a skill that you were, God wants you to have. So you do what? You learn it. What you can do naturally is not really a measure of your gifts from God. It's what you can develop. It's what you can learn. And it's what he gives you an aptitude for. That is where the gifts come in. Now, knowledge, for example, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians, knowledge is a stewardship. When we have been given the opportunity to learn our Bibles, okay, then what God does is he counts that as a stewardship. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Paul goes on to say this, verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's own judgment or man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst not receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou had not received it? So pride in our gift, pride in our skill, pride in our knowledge, even pride in how God made us to receive the knowledge has no place because it was given to us. It was given to you. It was given to me. Let's say someone is really good at some sort of skill they've learned to be and they've picked up a trade. It's it's okay to know that they're in themselves that they're good at it. It's not okay to have pride as if they're better than somebody else because that's what God gave them the ability to do. He gives you the ability to learn. You know one of the great hindrances to life is thinking you want to learn everything on your own. Well, I've had to learn by experience. Experience is the best teacher. No, it's not. There's nowhere in all the world where you can give an example that experience is the best teacher. It is a reinforcer and your mistakes may stick with you, but experience is the slowest way to learn anything. A good instructor and teacher is the fastest, most effective way to learn something. 
I, I really thank God when I was learning to fly, I didn't decide I was going to go out there and get in a plane and learn all by myself by trial and error. There'd only been one or two errors and there wouldn't have been any more trial. I would have failed the test. Ultimately, there were enough dangers to face once I had instruction. Once you go through a certain level of instruction, four, five, six, I think it was like six or seven hours, and the instructor said, take it around yourself, <laughs> and <coughs> here you are in whatever, say your eighth hour, and you really didn't ask him, oh, yeah, let's do this. I really want to do this today. You would have been content maybe to go much, I don't know about you, I was content to go much longer with him in the seat. Why, one day we were taken off over a canyon where the field was that we used, uncontrolled field, so you had to be really careful, incoming planes, etc. There was a canyon, just a rocky, rough canyon right after the end of the runway. On the other end, that you normally came in from the land because the prevailing wind was a big, big old body of water. You didn't want to land in that either. We were taking off. We are in climbing no mode where we got the nose up, a Cessna 150, and it quits, and it sputters. Then it starts back again, and it sputters. And the instructor says, I got it. When they say, I got it, you're conditioned. Take your hands and feet all out of the way immediately. And he starts rocking the plane. So he rocks the plane, and we go the whole pattern. The pattern's like a, large, like a huge rectangle. You go to the end, you hang a 90. You go this way, you hang a 90. You go full length uh, against the grain on the runway. You, you hang another 90, and you turn, and you make your homeward run. He just, he kept back and forth like this, tilting the wings up and down, back and forth. You know, a, a rocking horse goes forward and backwards. We're going left and right. And it would keep running and sputtering and running and sputtering. And we land and he took a deep breath and he said, I think I know what it is. We pulled it up to the hangar, pulled the cowling off, pulled the top off. And before we did, he said, I'm pretty sure this thing's going to end up with a broken carburetor float. And it did. And the one thing he said to me that day that never left my mind is he looked at me and he was not given one to dramatics at all. He was a very cool customer, been flown hundreds and thousands of hours, did missionary flying, all that. But he looked at me and he said, you know, if you'd been alone today, you'd be dead right now. Like physically, I'd be in heaven, I know. But <laughs> And he was a Christian, good man. If you were alone today, you'd be dead. You know, experience is not the best teacher. Now, I experienced that with him, and he had experienced it before, but he told me about case after case where his instructor and men he'd been with had helped him to be ready for such a situation. Now, some of his training, one day I was doing a, a, a practice thing on my own, doing your solo, you've got to practice these different maneuvers that they have you do on your, on your last flight check, and his training, it was as, he, as if he was sitting there, it happened. I knew exactly what three things to do with, within about a second. I did them and shoom, go, you know, level off out over the treetops and go up to the top and fly around for a while till you get your composure to land. Experience is not the best teacher. Why did I say that? Because the average Christian is prone to pride just like human nature is. So there is no place for pride in us being stewards. And also... There shouldn't be any pride that we should put our pride away so that we can learn how to be stewards. So in 1 Peter 5.10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So much of the ministry within the body of Christ is horizontal between each other as Christians. 
That's why it's a body of believers. That's why it's a church. And so when we look at life, we should look at it that way. Recently did a message on bearing burdens. And Paul starts with bear others' burdens, Galatians 6.2. Then he leads down and says bear your own burdens. And then if you read on, you're able to bear over your burdens onto the Lord. But he gives us these three different aspects and he gives us different ways in how much to do each of it. It's not just one little statement. That's why we study our Bible. That's why we learn our Bible. That's why we teach our Bible. So he says, even so minister, the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you have in the gospel accounts, you have the Lord Jesus Christ teaching on stewardship. Well done, thou good and faithful what? Steward. Why? Because the steward does what the master wants. Now, let's say you take you have a gift, an ability, we'll say. Uh, the, the word talent often in your King James Bible is speaking of money, but it also is applicable to something that will make you money or an ability you have. You just got to go look it up in your English. And so you have this, but as he said over there, what do you have that you didn't first receive? See, in other words, God gave it to you to use for him. Now, why is that so important? It's important because when we begin to think the way we ought to think, okay, then what happens is we minister accordingly. We have what we received. So we want to be good stewards. I don't think there's enough emphasis on this, being a good steward. When I get to heaven, when I, when I leave out of here, whether it's today or whenever, and then it's my time to stand before the Lord. He's going to want me to give account of my stewardship. He will not ask me anything to do with what I could make out of myself as far as could I give myself a certain skill? No. Could I give myself a certain kind of mind? No. But I could take what he did give me and do something with it. When he talked about those talents and the one took them and he doubled them and the other took it, he had five, he doubled. He had two, he doubled. He had one and the one hid it. He hid it. He didn't be a good steward. The master said, do something with it. Don't hide it. Don't just hang on to it. He gives us an illustration there in verse 11. If any man speak of 1 Peter 4, if any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. Speak according to what the book says. Okay, you know, it sounds almost silly, doesn't it? Well, if you spoke, of course you'd speak, you know, as they were. Well, no, I don't think there's near enough Christians. And I'm going to speak about men right now, just for a moment. I don't think there's near enough Christian men that speak like the Bible. He said in, in Hebrews 5, 12, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So scripture with scripture, he defines it. Talking about the word of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. If you have an ability, use it for God. Look for opportunities to. Start at home. Start with that charity at home. As in Christians, as in the house of God and work outward. 
that God in all things, verse 11, may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised dominion forever and ever. Amen. And in a moment, we'll, we'll close this session there because that's, that amen is kind of like, I'm going to move on to, he's going to move on to another truth. So as we look at this today, it causes us to slow down and long enough to say, am I using hospitality? Do I use it as a way to minister to others? That's what I mean by use it. Do I use it for myself? No, I use it for others without grudging, cheerful attitude. Have I received a gift? I need to minister to one another. Why? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If I'm to speak, I'm to speak as of the oracles of God. Not man's wisdom. Not human philosophy. Not a bunch of, you know, harebrained ideas and conjectures like we find so prevalent today. If I'm to minister, I'm to do it as the ability which God giveth. Why? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, when a Christian... Now, don't expect everybody to notice, okay? Don't expect anybody to even pat you on the back. But God notices and others will. The whole idea is we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving others with our abilities. We're to take what we are able to do and sharpen them. We're to learn skills that God's given us the ability to learn. And then we're to use them as stewards would because one day we're going to stand before him individually, one, each of us alone, and he's going to speak to us about what we did with our body, with our eyes, our ears, our hands, our tongue, our feet, where we did it, our mouth, what we put into it and what came out of it. Okay? He's going to ask us, well, what'd you do with the brain I gave you? What'd you do with the coordination I gave you? We must be very, very careful. I'm going to close with something that is just an illustration. It is not a doctrinal statement. But in one week's time, I heard of at least two situations where someone under 25 years old, one was 23, one was like 15, I think. One was in America, one was in Australia. And there were girls. And they were very talented and they were very, you know, an influenced people. And they both were very obsessed with equestrian events, in particular show jumping. Now, just hear me out. This is not a statement about those people. It's a statement in general, though. Both of them lost their lives doing that. And both of them lost their lives doing it on a, on a pretty much just a practice day almost. Okay? A small event. Now, I grew up with horses. Been around horses even all through the years, off and on after I was saved. And when I read of those two things, here's what sparked in my mind. Okay? It is known amongst horse people that one of the most dangerous ways of being in the horse business or horse riding is show jumping. When many, many years ago when I was down under, one of the fellows I met was father-in-law to a fellow who was 
scheduled to be on the Australian equestrian team for the Olympics, went to a country town for a, just a Sunday afternoon time of practice, you know, competition. His horse clipped just an average jump. He came off and was dead. Okay? So I say all that to say this. It's not did they do wrong or their parents or none of that, but I'm saying if you're sitting here today, May of 2023, and you're contemplating, is this what I should do with my skills, my brain, my coordination, even your money, because it takes money to do most of those, that type of equestrian stuff. Is that what God would have me spend doing it? Because we will one day. It's not what can you do. It's what should you do before God. It's not what can I do with my abilities. It's what should I do. It's not, well... I suppose that whatever someone will pay me the most to do with my abilities is what I should do. You can't find that. The apostles and hundreds and thousands of missionaries have gone and spent their life for Christ with amazing skills. I mean, amazing potential and did not follow the things they could have followed in the world because that's not what God sent them to do. Okay? Father, I pray you'd use these thoughts Lord, I pray you use the illustration. It's not a condemnation of anyone. But to me, it's sobering. Should I get involved in stuff with my abilities and my skills, should I spend them that way? Would that be a good stewardship in your eyes? And it could be anything. It could be some are spending so much time with fiction. Father God, it could be people are spending so much time, you know, with just frivolous stuff. And you said here that I should speak as the oracles of God. And I pray that's what we've done. We pray you use it in Jesus' name. Amen.